Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park These days, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make all kinds of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs in towns and cities across the country. And jobs bring pride purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel America's number one sports book is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to continue on our series of AFC North previews. And today we have a great guest for you, Jake Burns of the OBR to talk about the Cleveland Browns. Jake, how you doing? Ken, I'm great. Thanks for having me. Always look forward to chatting with you about, uh, about we're almost there. We're almost finally to football season. Yeah, getting excited and, uh, you know, lots going on. Of course, lots with the Browns this offseason. We'll get into all that. Uh, things life good for you in general? 
Life's good, right? We're on the, I know we were just talking off the air, about to have our second child late this week, Friday. Hopefully everything goes, knock on wood, everything goes well. So yeah, man, I, I could not complain for sure. We're, we're very well. That's, that's great to hear. Uh, let's talk about the Cleveland Browns a little bit. Uh, start, I guess, with a draft. And, uh, you know, team did not have a pick until the second round this year, correct? Yeah, so the, obviously the Deshaun Watson trade kind of moved things around for them. So they gave up their next three first-round picks, and they did actually trade out of pick 44 in the second round, moving back, uh, ironically, with the Houston Texans who moved up to get John Mechie. So they moved back and took Martin Emerson in the third round with their first pick. And uh, then at another third round pick where they took David Bell, wide receiver. And yeah, so on and so forth. I'm sure we'll get into some of those guys uh, along. But yeah, not not an eventful draft. And it's funny, can I talk to, to Browns fans there? They think guys taken in the third and fourth round because they're the first and second selection the team has made. But those guys are the talent equivalent of a first and second round pick. It's always funny how the mind can play tricks there. But yeah, they, they're going to have to be very good at the draft in the coming years to, to make up for giving up what they did for Deshaun. Now, we talked a little bit uh, over the course of last year. You know, I'm in contact with you a couple times a year at least. Mm -hmm. But but, uh, you were one of the people who really wanted to see, I think, the end of the Mayfield era in Cleveland. Yeah, I thought it had run its course. I didn't know where that ultimately went. Um, I didn't know it would be the guy that they ended up getting here. But, yeah, I thought that Mayfield had... Okay, let, let, you got to be delicate with this because, and I, I th- I'm sure you understand, it's 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 not that Mayfield's not an NFL caliber quarterback. I think he can play at a certain average to below average level. I think he'll have spurts. He's a very streaky guy. He'll have spurts above average, which we saw in 2020, where he put together a, 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 about half a season of really really good play. But far too often, he's on the colder side and then can push to average. And I think the Browns wanted to pursue better now uh, obviously up for debate if they push the limit of wanting to pursue better too far here we'll see as the decision is looming uh, what this season entails for the quarterback they acquired and Deshaun Watson but yeah the the, the relationship became fractured Ken we, we don't have to waste too much time on this but the relationship became fractured middle of the season no, no pun intended there with Mayfield shoulder and performance and a lot of blaming people within the organization and, and really a lack of accountability so you know the Browns made this reference in the offseason about wanting an adult at the position and while people have mocked that because of what they decided to do it's not that Mayfield's not an adult it's that he doesn't lead a franchise as a player and person the way they need to have someone do that so while you can debate with Deshaun Watson's off the field stuff and his person you know his personal conduct that's up to up for debate here he is in fact a franchise leader in terms of a player and leader in a, in a locker room so that is what they were pursuing obviously a better quarterback a better performer helps uh, but they, you know, we'll see. There's so much story to be told here. But they were at the at the point where Stefanski, uh, the Browns head coach, and 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 Mayfield were so far fractured that it was really hard to see them. Even if they did run it back for one more season, because the situation determined that they would have to, it was really fractured to the point that I couldn't see this happening any longer. So I think the Browns evaluated it in a similar fashion and decided that we just have to take this risk. So. Um, like I said, big time stories to be written here and a lot of big time things to happen that could be good or bad for the franchise. But, um, yeah, the, the relationship with Mayfield and the Browns fractured beyond just uh, uneven play. So I, I think it was always destined to get here and the, high, the timeline just got pushed forward. If you're looking at the history of NFL trades, at least since the merger, and I mean, there, there's a few that really stand out. The Herschel Walker trade, if you go back to that and what the Vikings you know paid to, to, to get him. Uh, but the. 
This trade has to be one of the biggest in NFL history in terms of trading three first-round picks for a quarterback. Uh, when you first heard this, what was your reaction to it as a fan? It's a great question. So he had actually eliminated Cleveland. He he had eliminated through the media sources game. Cleveland was out. So we had I had recorded a podcast about a forty minute podcast talking about all the other options. And at that point, Matt Ryan was still out there, and Jimmy Garoppolo, who's still out there, is is a, is a point of discussion. So it 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 we had moved past it, and then we had kind of talked about what our plan was as we covered the Browns around that decision of who they decided to go to, whether they stuck with Mayfield, whatever. And then I think it was like a Friday night, a Friday evening, uh, Canada, with the, the Adam Schefter tweeted out this news. And I have to admit, it was pretty jaw dropping. The Browns were in a weird position at that point because it had leaked pretty well leaked that they were in pursuit of Watson, were one of the teams who drew a meeting. And that fractured the relationship with Mayfield to the point that Mayfield put out this goodbye to the fan base and on Instagram or something of the sort. And we were all at that time trying to evaluate. There's just no way Mayfield's coming back. So who are they going to go get? How are they going to supplement this? Kirk Cousins had yet to really settle in with the Vikings for this season. So there was a lot of discussion built around that. And then, like, you know how it is. You'll be at work Friday and you're, you're ready to go. And, and boom, this news gets dropped. So it was jaw-dropping. I think the price for the player is fair. I, th- I certainly respect the feelings of people who do not agree that this is a, a player that should be playing this year or in, the, in perpetuity. I do not tell people how to feel on that. But for a player, can I equated this situation to an NBA big-time free agent being available? And the NFL doesn't get this, as you know, where quarterbacks who are the marquee guys, like the big Giannis Antetokounmpo-type wings that are the marquee players and you can't go anywhere without them. And for one of these guys to have a true free – and I know it wasn't a free agency, but it was, in fact, a free agency of sorts where he had – you know, people come in. I'm an Ohio guy, so I'm very well versed in the LeBron James sweepstakes the first time around where he had five different suitors come in to talk to him and pitch them and the Browns and the Falcons and the Panthers and the Saints all did this. They all went in, they all did their thing, and there was a heavy lean towards Atlanta and New Orleans. He ends up ultimately deciding Cleveland probably, I, ca- I can't say with certainty because they've tried to refute it, but $230 guaranteed million dollars completely alters the course of the franchise, alters the course of the NFL, if we're being honest. I know you guys are in the thick of this with Lamar Jackson discussions, and I know Cincinnati folks and the Joe Burrow stuff that's coming before too long. It has changed the landscape here. We have yet to see the next. It's this Watson signing is interesting, Ken. The next quarterback signing will be the most interesting to me because it's a reaction to the shift in the market. So from a perspective of all of that, jaw-dropping stuff for, for everybody involved with the Browns. Yeah, it's interesting. It, it's so outside the bounds. It's so much of an outlier that I really expect the next signing could be a move back in the other direction, whereas we've, we've rarely seen that at any yep. other position where yep. we've I, seen a re-needling. Yeah, I, th- I think that what's so fascinating and people don't know, and I'm sure your listening base uh, probably does because you've covered this, is when you give out a guaranteed $230 million, you have to escrow that money. You have to, in fact, have all of that money to put away. Not all owners have that kind of liquid cash sitting around. Jimmy Haslam you know, the, the, for all the shenanigans in his pilot flying J and many operations, there's no secret that he is a very liquid individual with that family. So they had that money. I do think I lean very heavily towards you being correct that this is such an outlier, such an albatross that the market will correct itself. But I will be very fascinated to see what the next few deals, because there's so many good ones. Lamar is leading the forefront of this but Herbert and Burrow, and there's all of these guys set to make really big money. So it'll be just just interesting to track the guaranteed dollars and where those go. But yeah, from to kind of wrap up, Brown's perspective, jaw-dropping stuff, 
I thought the, the, the return of three first round picks was fair. Most of people involved until they heard the compensation had thought a player or two might be included, kind of similar to Russell Wilson. I know Russell Wilson didn't qu- get quite the net return in um, draft capital, but we thought maybe they would have to give up somebody like a David Njoku before he had re-signed his contract or, or just somebody that mattered, right? That's kind of what Denver got. Uh, sorry, Seattle got in return with Noah Fanton. I believe they got a defensive tackle. Cannot think of his name off the top of my head, but that's kind of what we thought. So to me, giving up picks, always tough. But if you do end up solving your quarterback situation to the level that you feel like the rest of the roster is pretty competent, and I think it is, and you don't lose too much of 2022 yet to be determined, you can see what they were thinking. So uh, I get it. It does not. The scrutiny is totally deserved. People have a lot of feelings on this, which I totally understand. But um, we're doing the best we can. You know, we're Browns fans. We love the franchise. It's hard to just tell people to give up on this thing because of this situation. We're going to let the NFL do its thing the same way the, the courts are doing their thing currently. And we'll just, you know, we'll root for the jersey, not the name, right? That's kind of what you have to do in these situations. And I think we'll see what's to be out there about the, the validity of some of these things around Deshaun. I, I, I very much believe in not being judge, jury, and execution um, in, in these things. But but it is uh, it's certainly a tough look. And the Browns have brought a lot of heat into their organization. So we will see how they react to that this year because they've always been the lovable loser, Ken, and they are putting themselves in front of a lot of national scrutiny. Yeah, this is this is a uh, is a big moment, obviously, in the history of the Browns. I, I don't know that the current leadership, how they'll be judged for this, but I have to think they're bearing the weight for the due diligence that went with us and, and, and all. Now, I really don't want to go too deep into this, but I do just want to hear one thing from you as, you know, as someone who follows closely what's going on at the legal proceedings, what's your current over-under on how many weeks he'll miss of this season? Yeah, there have been so many leaks, and I just find it so weird that this NFL policy, this brand-new CBA policy of a, 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 federal, a federal, former federal judge would be willingly passing along her leanings left or right. So it, it, a little bit of humor there, but people have all these indications and Albert Breer and and pro football talk. And it, it's just like you don't know until you know. They submitted the, the formal reviews on the 11th. Those are in process. I don't think we're set to receive any news until at the earliest next weekend or the week of the 25th. I think the over-under number is 10 um, to me, that makes the most sense. The NFL has been very vocal, and I've heard from Albert Breer just yesterday on local radio in Cleveland about how that Sue Robinson, the people connected to this, are very upset that the NFL leaked where they were leaning in negotiations because that's something, too, that people don't really know, Ken, is that this is more negotiation than anyone understands. Mm-hmm. It is a lot of NFLPA representation talking to the NFL and trying to find a number that they can all agree on. If they do not find an agreement point, that's where Sue Robinson comes in. What she does is decides, did this player break the personal conduct policy if he did not by her ruling no suspension the nfl can't do anything about that if he did in her opinion she sets a number she gives him a number roger goodell can ultimately move that in either direction it's tough to see roger goodell moving anything when this is the first time we've had an example of a new collectively bargained approach it would not look good from an optics perspective that's kind of why the nfl has been vocal and saying well we wanted a year or an indefinite suspension i think most people are settling at 10 i think it's very reasonable to think that 10 and a half number makes the most sense but more and more things have creeped out in the NFLPA's favor representing him. I think you have to plan on 10 and kind of move from there. I have mentally thought to myself, Ken, just 
figure out this year without him because that's the thing. Even if you do lose a year of the player, which would stink because you lose a year of Miles and Denzel and those guys' career, mm-hmm. it's still a long play here. It's still a 10-year play, and losing one year to the scope to the scope of nine others is not as – you know, everything in the media, not the media per se, but the Twitter social media reaction business is very instantaneous while not looking at the long view. So I think 10 is a fair number. Okay. You said it's a 10 year play. It's a five year play, right? For his contract or yeah. 10 in terms of you'll resign him. I think there's a, I mean, nothing's given in the NFL. We, we, we I think we all know this. It's a very short window league. I, I totally understand. My thought is this guy is going to get, he's gotten two thirty million. He's talked about wanting to finish his career here. I just would have a hard time thinking he would leave after five years. They couldn't figure something out. So that is conjecture on my point. But yes, uh, the five years. I do think we've looked at a lot of extension stuff. The Browns love void years and looking at extension things and uh, sort of kicking the can and and restructuring contract year to year. But yeah, I think 10 years is kind of how I view it, that he's got 10 years of football left in him. But yeah, I mean, you never know. I mean, we're looking at the the never you you never know type of example right here. Right. So, yeah, for sure. It'll been when he gets on the field again, whenever that is, it'll be a while since he's played, kind of like Ronnie Stanley's timeout at this point in terms of uh, missing a year and a half and uh, not unhealthy, at least in so doing. But it is it is a factor, Ken. It is. I mean, you, you cannot miss a year and a half of football as a quarterback, game speed, live reps, mental reps, everything you need, and just expect to pick up and be normal. I think there's a lot of there. There is. I'll say it this way. I'll be very sweet with this short and sweet. There's a lot of pressure on this guy, an, 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 an enormous amount of pressure. And he's going to be expected as a guaranteed $230 million quarterback now on top of all of the national scrutiny to be very good right away. And if he suspended eight games or more, you're starting to look at a prolonged period of time out of the game, new offense, new verbiage, new teammates. It's a lot. So um, let's just put it this way. There's so there's so many interesting things to pay attention to here. And uh, I think you make a very well under-discussed point about his time missed and how that can impact a quarterback just expected to jump in and dominate games because that's how they're paying him is to dominate games. All right. Well, Jacoby Brissett will start the season, we presume, at quarterback then? That is the general consensus. I know people have tried to float out going after. And people who don't understand the Mayfield situation will be like, well, why didn't they just hang on to him? That, that wasn't going to ever be something. After they made this deal, after the discussions got out there, that was never going to happen. They brought in Jacoby Brissett. Even if it's a year-long suspension, some people have floated since the contract would toll into the next year uh, if they would go out and get somebody like Jimmy Garoppolo or something like that to just be a year holdover. But I don't think they're going to do that. I really do think they're going to give Jacoby the year if that's the situation and do their best and run the football as often as they can run the football and try to win some ugly football games. So until I have any other indication or lean, I think you do say Jacoby Brissett will be the quarterback for whatever duration of a suspension it is. And if you're, if you're the most optimistic Browns fan, you're thinking maybe we can get through this six and four with Brissett and somehow Watson can come on and save the day in the last six ball games or seven ball games, I guess it will be. That would be exactly right. You would need him to keep the ship afloat, almost like you would need the division to muck itself up like it did last year. Sort of hard. You can't bank on that. Uh, as you know, as a Raven, someone who covers the Ravens, so many weird things happened to the franchise last year. You just There's too much talent in this division, especially Cincinnati and Baltimore, to think that that kind of ugly division winner will happen again. But I think Cleveland is kind of saying we'll take our chances there. If it comes to 
it if uh, if that situation does arise and land in our lap. We like Jacoby Brissett. He is a although very limited quarterback. He's a very he's very well respected in the NFL. A lot of guys really love playing with him, and he's he's a good leader in that regard. And you know that doesn't always doesn't mean you win football games from the quarterback position. There's a lot of guys who are good leaders, well respected, but can't get the job done. But they do think he can be with two years of starting time in this type of offense, not Miami's RPO heavy structure that he was trying to thrive in last year which is such a unique weird offense uh he he can do better in this play action manipulation uh through the through the run game and give him some open opportunities and they think they can be okay so yeah i mean can he limp to five and five can he can he get them to somewhere four and five after 10 weeks in the bye the beginning of the season is very favorable the first four games are very favorable uh, in terms of uh, who they have on the schedule so they're trying to yeah just limp through whatever the nfl decides to do here if it's a year you're just going to try your best, give it the old college try on the season. But if they think it's six, eight, ten games, yeah, they think they can come out of it and give Deshaun a chance to make a run at it at the end of the year. Wild card would probably be the most likely thing. Right. If 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 they thought it was going to be ten games, if they knew it was going to be ten games, do you think they would alter their strategy at all and going after a quarterback like Garoppolo, or is Garoppolo just not enough of a of a buy up from Brissett? to make him worth all the dollars he would cost. So Cleveland's very, I mentioned it earlier, Ken, they're very conscious of the void year process and the credit card that comes with that. So they love to roll over cap. That's why they were so stalling and and making sure that they got relief from that 18 and a half million guaranteed to Mayfield. So I have a hard time thinking that Jimmy Garoppolo is worth more in a one year vacuum is that much of an improvement coming off the surgery. He's coming off of all of that to make up for what those void years can do for their roster construction as the, as the uh, salary cap expands. So I lean, I, I mean, I'd put the Garoppolo thing at like 5%. I really do think they would ride it out in any scenario like that just to, just to get through, have contract toll, uh, push back a year for Watts and go from there at that point. I think that would be their play. They've locked up a lot of important pieces. They're viewing this as a window opportunity, not a short term thing. So uh, I think they're pretty settled in those decisions at quarterback right now. And I just think that that's that if you, a lot of people pay attention, like, well, they got relief from Mayfield's contract, this, that Hooper's contract, whatever. They really do like to roll that money into the future to cover those void year contract situations so they can get immediate relief and pay off some of those things later on. So I think they're very, very in on that play. Kind of kind of what Andrew Barry learned from Howie Roseman with the Eagles. And they're really applying it right now. All right. All right. Well, there's, uh, there's certainly a fair number of teams that are that are trying to do that, and and it makes sense in a in a way. A cap a cap dollar tomorrow is worth less than a cap dollar today, uh, because of the expanding cap. So you'd expect you know a lot of teams to want to want to play that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's let's go to new acquisitions, uh, particularly the free agents that the Browns have signed this offseason. David Njoku, a big one, uh, signed on their extended on their own roster. Yeah, so that that deal caught a lot of national <laughs> attention, and I and I get it. I, I I know that there are there are plenty of tight ends who have produced more, who are better, uh, prove more proven all around players, uh, particularly the one that trots around in Baltimore. So um, scrutiny comes with that when a guy hasn't produced. But there's been a lot of weird circumstances around his career. Had a really strong first two years at an extremely young age, pushed almost 700 yards his second year in the league at just 22. But then his third year uh, was the 2019 season. Uh, week two, Baker Mayfield throws him a very late, what we call 
you know this in the business, a hospital ball, gets mm-hmm. his wrist broken on a very late throw over the middle that shouldn't have been thrown. So he misses almost all of that season with that broken wrist, comes back the next year, 2020, is pretty solid, uh, is sort of bouncing back. He was on the market for wanting to be traded, decided he didn't want to be traded because this offense was going to give him opportunity, and it did, but he dealt with some injuries in 20 um, and did okay, and then in 21 – um, he started to. We started to see that this guy should be playing a lot more than Austin Hooper, who a lot of people, if you recall, very excited about the acquisition of Austin Hooper, a proven tight end out of Atlanta at the time, who had thrived in that uh, beneficiary of Calvin Ridley and uh, and um, Julio Jones. You know, you can operate underneath those guys. So, uh, what what they decided is they like this player. He's still 25. He's extremely young. He has gotten improved. He has improved as a blocker. Every single year in the NFL is now, I think, a very good run blocking and pass protecting. In the rare occasion they keep a tight end in, pass protection wise, he's good at that. And I think there are levels to what he's going to do as a receiver. They're banking on him to be a seven, eight hundred yard receiver for them, get a lot of opportunity. So uh, I totally get it. Uh, I, if you look at the fantasy value projection stuff like that, it's ugly. But I think there's a nice year here inside this quarter inside him, and I think that Watson will help him be a whenever Watson finds the field will be a a better player and get him some cheap yards opportunities too. Cause that's something he just didn't get. He didn't get a ton of those cheap yards, right? Where you catch a screen or you catch a check down or you're on that shallow cross. Uh, there just wasn't a ton of that. And I think there'll be that opportunity for him. So keeping him was big, the market, his age, all of that kind of dictated. They had to pay up a little bit and uh, you know, we'll see if it works out. It wasn't without risk. It's not a zero risk situation, but I, I was happy they were able to keep him. All right. All right, certainly a, a very big one. Watson, uh, like Jackson, has some gravitational pull he brings to an offense. Uh, as he moves and rolls right, there's a whole lot of people chasing him. That often does create opportunities for the tight end specifically. Uh, I, don't really, I, I don't really have a good sense of where Watson has been as a play-action quarterback, whether he's had a fair number of turn-his-back-to-the-field opportunities. If that's how he operates, that's really not Jackson's modus operandi at all. Very few times does he actually turn his back to the field what's Watson's history with that a little bit he did more of it and so when he came into the league Bill O'Brien was his offensive coordinator and as we all know Bill O'Brien brought a heavy college influence and they really tried to pair that stuff up for him tried to give him a lot of that orbit motion do some triple stuff get some shotgun uh, sorry pistol looks for him and that pistol stuff continued into the 19 and 20 season but he did get some more um, whether it was through pistol or wide or under center, he got some more play action, traditional stuff, even, uh, you know, naked roll stuff, but also set a deep set, you know, where you come off one, two, three, and then you're five into a, into a, excuse me, play action drop. So it's not, I don't think he has a ton. I wouldn't label him as a high volume back turn play action quarterback, but the reps I've seen when breaking him down, he can handle it. I think he can handle it, and, and I've liked his under center footwork. I think he's been fine. A reminder that Watson has torn both of his ACLs throughout his football playing career, one in high school, one, as we know, that rookie year in practice, he tore it kind of late in his rookie season randomly. So he's not a beacon of perfect uh, overall body health, but he's he's in the years after that ACL, still been a very – mobile quarterback like you said he can get out of dangerous situations he is not a he's kind of viewed as a thin 
quarterback, but he's he's pretty built and he handles contact much like Lamar. When when somebody actually does get a body on Lamar, he can handle that and make people slide off of him. He's similar in that regard. Not near the athlete, not near the twitchiness of Lamar, but he can do some of that bounce off stuff, extend play. So I like his under center play action stuff. I think Stefanski will want to clean that up get it even better but i also think they're going to be a heavy pistol team i kind of wrote on this i think they're going to use that formation to get downhill run game uh, for their backs still keep some of that wide zone power counter stuff available but they're also going to wrinkle in that read option stuff and rpo stuff too you know one thing in terms of being away from the game as long as he has that i think would be one of the things that's not exactly riding a bike is reacquiring the field off turning your back and that seems like a very much a live fire drill thing. You really need reps at that to be able to reacquire, reread that field, know what your keys are you're looking for, be able to pick them up very quickly with the appropriate wide angleness of lens uh, that, that's necessary to do that. Uh, any thoughts on that? Couldn't agree more. I mean, there are certain things you can watch tape on like crazy. You can go through sort of those little run-through practice drills. But, man, when when you hear it happening behind you and you don't have your eyes on it and then you do, like you said, pick it up, scan, acquire, those are going to be elements of things that he's missed for a long portion of time that he'll have to just get just get better at. Hopefully he can – the good thing about what the Browns do and whether it's in the pistol or whether it's under center is that their ability to have people respect the run game – still even despite that stuff is pretty unique and i know that baltimore is one of the teams that can do this too but uh, you know teams are going to especially those backside ends the nfl has gotten better at handling wide action run game and 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 having you uh you know boot out the opposite direction they'll they'll sit that backside end a little bit off more often but with cleveland and how kareem and nick run and their ability to find that bend alley right to bend all the way to the backside teams still don't don't love to squat that backside end or backside fill player because they're worried about that cutback. Now with Baker Mayfield, you can squeeze and still adjust, right? You can squeeze, condense, keep your hand kind of tight down to be able to handle that, but recover laterally to Mayfield if he scrambles. They could, or sorry, if he comes off that for a boot fake and tries to beat you to the perimeter, you can't do that with Watson. He's too athletic. Mm-hmm. He'll beat you outside and he'll dump it off for easy throws. So some of that stuff will unlock some things for Kevin. But I do think I'm trying to write on it as much as I can right now, Ken. I think their offense is going to look a lot different than what it has been. I don't think they're going to rely wholeheartedly on a lot of the play action stuff they did with Mayfield. They'll do it. They'll give those opportunities when needed, but I think they're going to be uh, a little bit more creative in the five-step game from, from, from that pistol look. Also do a little bit more three-step stuff where they know Watson can handle those things a bit more early down wise. Mayfield struggled on early downs to keep the chains in the correct place, dump it off, give, give, get four yards here, pick up a couple yards there. So I think they're going to change some of that stuff. But but I, I do think that we'll see a return to uh, some of the movement stuff. A lot of what they did with Mayfield with off-play action was set up. You know, turn, flash, set up because he couldn't move. He couldn't move because if he had an ankle issue. We all know the left shoulder issue. So what they want to do is put a, a better – I think they want to put Watson on the perimeter a little bit more. So we'll see how they get creative in doing that. And I think they're going to be an RPO team too because he's so good at them. He – he actually did one on NFL films with Brian Baldinger and Kurt Warner on, on some of his thought process with those. And he's very good at it. And I think that that's a wrinkle that they should, they should unlock for him. So I've got thoughts on that because LaFleur did some things that Aaron Rodgers was really comfortable with, even though he's a wide zone play caller as he was in Tennessee before he arrived in Green Bay. What you have to do is what is your quarterback best at? Okay, mm-hmm. let's try to implement a lot of those schemes into making him feel comfortable. So I think they'll do that too. 
All right. Outstanding. I, we're going to have to leave some of the Watson talk for one of our Know Your Foe episodes because there's a lot of more interesting things to, to talk about here, including like with RPO, is he a full mesh guy? Is he a fake to the mesh guy? I, I have a lot of interest in that because of what Lamar Jackson is. And, and he really, they, they, they very rarely have gone all the way into the mesh and pulled it out and thrown. Very rarely, you know, yeah, a handful of times. He's done, and I'll keep it short, short and sweet because we'll, we'll we'll just have to see more of it, right? What I've seen from his time in Houston was he was a mesh guy. He would give it here and there. He would give it on those RPOs here and there. But if he saw you take one condensed step, they would do a lot of creative stuff out of that inverted uh, wishbone where they'd have two tight ends, lateral, a deep yep. back, and the pistol. And I know you're familiar with that, but they would, you know, they like to they run those little slice concepts where they're running underneath the line of scrimmage, and you you. In up pulling it they're going to drop it to you they'd run little rail routes so the the guy to your left is running a rail route the guy to your right is sliding underneath the read key and if you pull it right off that pistol downhill run if you pull it you got either a flip or a rail route or a backside drag uh just it's not it's not rocket science stuff stuff you probably see at the local friday night football field these days if you go but it's effective still it's effective still so um i i didn't get the vibe from what i've seen that he was a predetermined uh, sort of deal there, but you know, you got, I got to see it more with Nick and Kareem and what Kevin wants to do to determine. And as you said, we'll, we'll, we'll feel that out in season. All right. All right. So uh, other free agents who, who's new to the Browns this year, how did they get better? Um, good question. So they didn't make a ton of splash signings. They, they, they wanted to bring back a lot of their guys. Uh, they, they wanted to bring back Jadevian Clowney. They were able to bring him back. They wanted to bring back Ronnie Harrison on a very affordable safety deal. And they brought him back. Uh, they wanted to, uh, obviously lock up, uh, and, and Joku, they brought him back. They, they, they didn't make a move via free agency here, but they traded for Amari Cooper. So mm-hmm. they gave up very little. Actually, I really applaud that deal that they gave. They only gave up a sixth and seventh, essentially, for Amari Cooper services, which I thought is a great deal uh, working around his contract. He's 28. I think he's got a couple good years left in him, and the Browns can get out of that contract at that point. But I really think Amari's going to have to be a 110, 120 target guy um, for them because of the situation they're they're dealing with at receiver where they're, they're pretty shorthanded in terms of talent. So uh, Amari should be a really important piece for them. Um, they, they brought back Jack Conklin. And again, so much of this is just bringing back players that, that could have been let go or released. They reworked Jack Conklin's right tackle contract, which is important. He had a patella tendon tear in his knee, which is as, as dicey as it gets for knee recoveries. It, it, from what I hear, he's doing well on track to, to get the beginning of the year. Uh, but, but you never know. He actually, uh, before the patella tendon injury had dislocated his left elbow, and was out, came back. Then that game, then the game he came back, I believe it was like week six, had the had the uh, knee issue. So uh, we'll see where he's at. They brought back Chris Hubbard, who's an experienced AFC North lineman, to be his right tackle replacement until he can get back and be right. So that was an important one. Uh, you know, the, the more we talk here, Ken, the more I'm realizing they did not make many free agent signings. They, they made a lot of trades. They gave up Mac Wilson, who's one of their linebackers, to go get Chase Winovich as a depth defensive end from New England. So that's another move they made. They traded Troy Hill, their slot corner, um, uh, who was back to L.A. for a pick next year's draft. Uh, so they might move Greg Newsom inside. We'll talk about that a little bit more here in a bit. But, yeah, they really didn't. You know, I, I unless I'm missing somebody off the top of my head, they did not really go sign anybody. They did okay. I, I take that back. They brought in Taven Bryan, who's a defensive tackle. They were able to go get him. Um, so Taven, and these aren't marquee guys, but they're they're guys that they one of the few they signed. Taven Bryan is a former first round pick out of 
Florida. He went to Jacksonville uh, originally. Uh, a really up and down career in Jacksonville, spurts of good play, which is, seems like a lot of defensive tackles in the NFL. So they're going to hope to get a lot out of him in a very thin room there. And then they signed Jakeem Grant to shore up the kick return, punt return situation. So Jakeem Grant, obviously of Miami for a long time, very speedy, shifty guy. I expect him to be handling both duties of punt and kick return for them. Um, and then boy can i think that's it they really did not they brought back anthony walker who's a, a very experienced middle linebacker who started at mike for them last year um they bring him back they brought back like i said ronnie and that that's it it's a very it was it was a lot of keep our own guys and they made two splash trades essentially is how they operated this offseason all right well let's talk let's start with the offensive line kind of go through the position groups we're going to talk at a high, kind of a high level here about what's going on, but uh, uh, how does the Browns' offensive line look this year? A lot of similar faces, so pretty much everybody back from last year. So they'll go left tackle to right tackle. I'll talk real quick about each. Jed Wills is going to be your left tackle again. Drafted him in the 20 draft. Is going into a very important season. He is year three. He had a, a pretty strong rookie season. Um, second year in the opening game against Kansas City, Brown's third drive down near the goal line gets rolled up on, has a high ankle sprain, so he battles that for a large portion of the year. Big year for him. So Patrick Queen also in his third year, is Jedrick Wills in any danger of missing out on the fifth-year option? It's a great question. I think I th- I don't think so, Ken. I think that he's proven to be good enough to get that fifth-year option. I don't know that you're in extension territory. His his rookie year was really strong. He has a propensity to do a couple things that I don't think are good for offensive linemen. He quits plays too early. He's got that, we used to call it back in my day, helmet cam syndrome, where he'll stop and look around for the ball. And that'll lead to some situations where either a quarterback's keeping a play alive or you have a running back who's made multiple cuts and is trying to find a crease, and he's checking around. He quits plays too early. And I don't always think he uses the the God-given athletic ability in the wide-moving run game to get places I think he should go. He got better at it last year, but not as good. He's he's I think he's a, I think he's a pretty good NFL left tackle, and that's why I think the fifth year will be picked up unless he has a really poor season. He's um, you know he's he's definitely not Tristan Wirfs on the right side. I mean I know Wirfs. A reminder, Jed had to move to the left. He never played the left his entire life. Right tackle college, or sorry, high school, right tackle in college for two attack of Iloa, and they moved him to the left. He's, I think he's doing well. I was really excited about his development last year, but the ankle injury, the first half of the season, you know how high ankle injuries are, especially for big fellas. It's so hard to battle. He fought. He played through it. He did his best, missed some games, but played really hard. And uh, I, I am – optimistic about this year being a good year for him i think there's uh, obviously a sense of urgency with him like i'm sure there is with patrick on your end of i have to prove it this year this is now or never there's a lot of money on the line and i think he will get there so i'm uh, very optimistic about jed he's he's extremely athletic his kick step slide is is impeccable his set reset i think has gotten better and better over time getting his hands reloaded where they need to go after impact I'm very optimistic that he has that sort of breakout season this year that, that many have seen uh, saw happening last year, but obviously injuries hampered it. So um, that's the left tackle. Left guard's Joel Batonio. Somehow drafted in 14 all the way back then. Same draft as Manziel and, and Justin Gilbert. That's how long back your NFL perspective has to go there. Um, but Joel is 
he's gotten better. He somehow had his best year ever last year. He was an all-pro. He started two games at left tackle, can and graded over 90 in both of them, which is so rare to move a left guard to left tackle. Mm-hmm. And there's not much else to say. Effective as a, an anchoring guard, solo matchups. He can, he can be a guy who can chip and help out in other places. He's a great puller, both inside pulling and outside kickout counter pulling. He can do it all. Great player. Centers where it gets interesting. They let go of J.C. Treader, who I thought had a top 10 center year. Um, because they 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 just were up against some things, and they really like Nick Harris. Nick Harris, a fifth round pick in the twenty draft Washington. out of Washington, very good mover in space. He got really nice pre. So his rookie year, he played two games at guard, and he was out of place. He's too small for it. Couldn't handle it. Three techs bullied him. Couldn't do it. And I was a lot of people were overreacting to that. I was just sitting there saying like you got to give him a chance to play center he had a really nice preseason last year he started the green bay game as his only game of starting and that's jc treader missed his only game uh last year and his entire browns career because of covid and he got the start and really played well against kenny clark and it just just a, t- a really really strong game from him so i think nick harris i'm very optimistic about him they signed a backup named ethan posich out of seattle up and down player that that center position though ken i would say is the most um, uh, vulnerable of, of the offensive line positions. Uh, look, looking at, of course, the Ravens drafting Tyler Linderbaum. They, they went with an undersized short arm center, a lot of quickness, a lot of smarts. Mm-hmm. Uh, p- positive things to say about him in general, uh, but I think he's an enormous risk. And, and arm length being a, a huge problem at 31 and change. Harris is a little better at 32 inches, but that's still quite short. Uh, for for yeah. an NFL lineman, and he's so he's he does a really interesting thing. His pass pro is very um, he does a hop technique. So so very uh, he'll he'll put the weight forward, he'll hop back, and be able to re-anchor and hop back. I'd never seen anything quite like it. He does it well. He's very. He's efficient in that. I need to see more. I've also I've ultimately only seen one game against really good NFL competition at the at the position I think he belongs. But he is undersized. Now this offseason he has talked a lot they did they do this building the brown series where they go through a myriad of different things uh, around the organization and one of which was a strength coach talking about a body change nick is trying to put on more weight and i think he seems to be doing fine with it there's been nothing but positive things i've heard about him but he is again ultimately going to have to be able to use the athletic ability that he's been given to overcome some of the arm length issues and some of those like you mentioned uh size issues so he seems fine so far we'll see when he has to last 17 games and the pressure's on and you have to handle the line calls and you have to handle everything that comes with playing center in this offense because J.C. Treader was doing everything at times. I'm talking setting protection, setting targets and Mike linebackers. He was doing it all. Does it make sense that Petonia would take over some of that for the Browns? I mean, he seems like certainly a veteran lineman. Something I'm very much paying attention to. Like, I, I'm a guy who, the, the, I really, I'm maybe you're the same way, but the 2020 season, man, I would sit down day after TV view, headphones, cancel the noise, and just listen because you could hear it all. And that was the beautiful thing is you could hear it all. Now, games, fans, starts to get rough. Um, That is something that I pay close attention to. It is certainly something they could do because Joel's been around now. Um, And I think Joel's very cerebral. He's not just one of the, you know, there's a lot of stereotypes around linemen, but I think Joel is uh, very in tune with what they want to do. Their right guard, Wyatt Teller, also a very good player, but not as not as savvy mentally as Joel is. So if they were to do that sort of thing, Joel would be a likely candidate to handle some of those duties if Nick's not able. But from everything I gather about Nick and from when I've seen him talk and 
and do different things around publicly. He's a very sharp guy too. So there could be a seamless transition there, but that is uh, one of the things I will be focusing on very heavily in the early preseason and early portion of the year is who's handling those things. Or if they want to put more in Jacoby and Watson's lap to do some of that stuff, to take the burden off of a guy like Nick Harris who's in his early NFL career. We'll just have to see. Um, I talked about Teller. I think Wyatt Teller is uh, very good. And I should mention, too, they gave Joel Batonio a contract extension. So they uh, they gave him an extension last year, and they gave Wyatt Teller a new contract, and they paid him handsomely. And I think he's a very, very, very good football player, one of the most athletic interior offensive linemen I think you'll find across the league. He fits the size stereotypes and the body discrepancies, how his body manages weight top to bottom. He, I think he could be up there with the best moving, pulling interior lineman in the entire NFL. I think he's phenomenal. Not as clean technician-wise as a pass protector. He will have slip-ups here and there. But, boy, when you get Wyatt Teller in space, you really, really are, are in an uh, advantageous situation. And he's very good tight-pulling, too, up the, up the you know, play side to back side on, on, on terms of power stuff. And a very good gap-down guard. He can do all of that stuff. And he'll make some plays on tape where you'll have to cut it up and rewind it because he'll make some acrobatic plays maybe he gets uh, you know maybe he makes contact somebody swim moves him or hits him with a club rip and he's able to do a 360 and get back to where he needs to go just just a a specimen of an athlete at the position that the browns really lucked into with the trade they they made with buffalo there was a lot of the stuff about wyatt not understanding mentally what buffalo wanted to do hmm. and they were low on him because of that and they were they moved him so cleveland got a nice situation there i think he's comfortable in cleveland good contract i mean it's a heavy contract but he got a contract that he was looking for and i think he's among the best interior linemen in the league Great, great fit for the Browns. You know, being a heavier run team than what the Bills have, uh, the pass protection run blocking is going to be a better mix of uh, responsibilities for Teller, I would think, in Cleveland. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And he's very good at at when plays break down, being able to just somehow figure out where his quarterback is moving and be a nice part of moving late, uh, late developing scheme blocking. He just always has a knack for that. So So that's something you bashed uh, Wills about. Yes. Yep. So I think that that is something he is very effective at. Never quits on a play. Will always be downfield blocking. Um, I I will be very interested, Ken, if he's going to be a detriment in the RPO game because of that, if he's got some bad habits to break there. Uh, Not that they're bad habits, but they're just habits you have to. Well, yeah, where where he's he's what is the threshold in the NFL? Two yards, three yards. I'm not sure what that threshold is, but yeah, he can't he can't be down uh, field, as you know. So. Uh, we'll see. They got to adjust their course there. There's a mentality thing to change with Wyatt, but boy, he plays hard. He plays hard, and he's just a really fun player to watch and break down. Right tackle should be Jack Conklin. When Jack is right, he's one of the best zone blocking uh, tackles in the entire NFL. That's why Jack was brought in. He was an All Pro. Not sure he deserved that All Pro his first year with the Browns, but he got his second All Pro in the NFL his first year. I thought he ran, he was really effective in the zone uh, stuff. Now, when they had to replace him and play a rookie named. Um, oh boy, what is his name? Forgetting his name off the top of my head. Cincinnati product that they brought in last year. Who I want to call the uh, wrong name. Uh, not, Hudson, James working. Hudson. Goodness, okay. uh, you pay me to be an expert, and here I am stumbling around. Um, <laughs> so uh, Hudson uh, filled in, and Blake Hans, another guy filled in, and uh, they the Browns ended up running more power schemes. 
than zone schemes last year, which is a big change philosophically. So that uptick in some of that stuff, it felt to me like they did not feel like they had five guys who could do it well enough. Uh, they, they thought down blocking was easier for those guys. And generally it is, you know, it's, it's a technique change to be a zone wide zone blocking player. But when Jack is healthy and right, he's among the best to do it. He is, um, not as good as a pass protector. He has some issues to the high side every now and again. He can get a little top-heavy and lean uh, and, and break away from clean technique stuff. He'll put clean technique on the tape for four plays, and then the fifth one you'll be like, where is hands? Or why did he not bring the foot with him? So some of that stuff happens, and that's why ultimately he didn't get another contract in Tennessee is because they just didn't know if they could bank on that. So a great first year in Cleveland, second year, you know, the injuries are really unfortunate. But if he's back to playing well, he'll be, uh, I still think he'll be an above average to really, you know, a good right tackle in the, in the league still. So those are your starting five. Well, certainly, you know, look at the Cleveland offensive line, and it's, it's one of the real models in the NFL in terms of being, being quality for, for quite a long time now. Uh, how about we, uh, we move on? Uh, we talk about some of the other skill position players. Let's, let's talk about tight end, maybe. Yeah, so we talked a little bit about a joker earlier, so I covered that pretty, pretty in depth. This is where it's interesting, Ken. There were 13 personnel loving team last year. And I mean, they were among, I think they ran 13 personnel more than anybody else. Now, I think the misconception here is just because you run it more than anybody else doesn't mean you're running it 500 snaps in a season. They ran it, I think, like 170 times, which is a lot more than everybody else, but they used it a decent amount. Go ahead. Yeah, I just want to say that the, the Ravens in 2019, when 13 personnel was really something special that they were doing, uh, still only ran it uh, 7 8% of the time. It was something yeah. like that. But but it's a great wrinkle when you can do it because it drives opposing defensive coordinators nuts. Absolutely. They, they, just, they just don't know who to put on the field to to, to play against it. They don't. They don't like to match it because they feel vulnerable. Some way, shape, or form, you feel vulnerable. And then, so, and, and, and again, in large part to me, Cleveland did so much 13 personnel last year because they were just depleted at receiver. You lost Jarvis Landry for big portions, the Odell fallout. They just didn't feel like they had enough receivers to run out on the field. Although Kevin likes 13, he likes fullback football dating back to his Minnesota days. I think there's still a preference to get more wide receivers to, to chase explosive plays more often. So I think this is where it gets interesting this year to bring it back. Harrison Bryant, who is in his third year going into his third year, uh, Florida Atlanta kid who's I, I like a ton. To me, he's a very similar player to Austin Hooper, where he, he's he's a zone beater, uh, not going to thrive against man-to-man situations, but uh, a zone beater who's a very sound blocker, tries extremely hard. They put him at fullback from time to time. They do some interesting things with him, uh, but he catches the football really well. Not a burner, not a great athlete at the position, but catches the ball well, and it's just largely where he's supposed to be doing his job when he's supposed to do it, which is an underrated quality, right? Sometimes it's just finding quality tight ends, period, in the NFL is a challenge because of how hard that position is. But those are their two guys. So I think they they're, they don't have a third guy. Like They've brought in three people uh, from the UDFA market, one of which is Marcus Santos Silva, who played Texas Tech basketball his entire career. They're taking a risk there. They brought in another kid who went from the local Notre Dame up in Cleveland D2 college down to Florida Atlantic for a year. Uh, they brought him in as a UDFA. They don't have a third tight end. They had a guy, Steven Carlson, who they did not bring back as Steven Torres ACL the year before. They ended up bringing this guy named Miller Forrestall out of Alabama to be their third guy at large portions of last year. And we don't know where they're going from here. So they have two stone cold locks. Does that mean they're going to keep Miller Forrestall? I tend to lean that they are going to 
get uh, I think the third tight end for Cleveland is on another roster right now. They'll hmm. scoop somebody up and 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 waiver wire cuts in the preseason and make a decision there. That's my hunch. They could keep Miller Forrestall and be a three tight end group there and kind of go with that guy, but I have a hunch that they want more from that player, more upside, more potential unless one of these UDFAs break out. Uh, I just have a hard time envisioning they're going to keep four tight ends, let alone four, like, you know, that we're fine trying to hunt to find the third, the fourth tight end situation. I think they're going to shift some things around and keep an extra running back because we'll talk about those guys in a minute, but they don't have a third tight end. So it's hard seeing them keep four, but I do think they'll, they'll find that guy some way, shape or form, whether that's flipping a late pick or, uh, you know, getting somebody who's cut down in roster cuts. I think they have to find that player still. That's, that's interesting because very few teams, it, it's hard to run, for safety looks without having five safeties or even dime looks without having four guys you can trust because things happen during a yep. football season. And you don't want to be without your 13 personnel look, even if even if it's just your exciting wrinkle, uh, it, it, just because you lose one of your tight ends. You really want to have four who are practicing and understanding, yeah. even if you lose some efficiency in the, in the actual personnel running it. The way they've been so cavalier about that position at this point makes me think there's a change in philosophy coming, that they're going to be a heavier 12 and 11 personnel team. Uh, mm-hmm. That's just a hunch on my end, total conjecture. I have not had anybody ask that question. I will probably send up our beat writer to ask that question soon. But they uh, they they are in a position you would think the Browns would be highly, highly invested in figuring out. It just sort of seems like they're shrugging their shoulders. We like our two guys, and then we'll find somebody else for that third tight end, and let alone a fourth. We'll let this segue into the running backs here, but you know the teams that have outstanding running backs, as Cleveland certainly does, often are teams that like to run out of 11, spread the opposing yeah. defense out, don't, don't remain tight with extra heavies on the line of scrimmage. Baltimore is one of the unusual ones in that, that the Ravens really like to motion a tight end, and they use a lot of their motion on that tight end to get him inside to set up a double team. Um, But they're also trying to stretch the entire line of scrimmage horizontally and stress Mm -hmm. the opponent along that entire thing. It it surprises me a little bit that Cleveland plays that that tight uh, formation game that they do, given the quality of their running backs. That's why Nick Chubb has been one of the – I mean, I think they've gotten by a little bit with Nick Chubb being one of the best at creating yards over expected. He's he's continually able to take situations where they're outnumbered in the box and create something out of nothing. I think that what I'm hoping, Ken, kind of here is what I'm hoping is – that what we're saying, they they decide to tweak that. They decide to say, hey, let's spread to run. Like, let's put ourselves uh, with a quarterback that we feel can move as he can move. Let's put fewer, uh, bigger bodies in the box. Let's spread people out. Let's run more 11. Let's put 12 out there. But out of 12, have David be a de facto slot big slot nice, yeah. and, and and be able to do some different things from that. So even if they do run 12, it's a hybrid of 11. So that's what I'm hoping that they said we're tired of making. Like what I have kind of equated it to over the two years is, and this is not necessarily a bad thing because they have found levels of success with this. Cleveland has sort of played every situation like they're in the red zone. Like they really – have condensed things and they don't have anybody that can break the lid off a of defense and stretch teams and make them nervous in deep portions of the field. So everything is very condensed for them. Now I'm hoping they can figure out ways to maneuver that. Uh, we'll talk about David Bell and some of the others that they've brought at the wide receiver position here in a little bit, but that's something they have to combat that condensed feel to everything they do. And I think a shift, a total shift away from heavy personnel usages and, and wider formations is going to be a part of that this year. Obviously, a couple of backs who, who uh, complement each other very well. Is there a third back uh, that you think is going to emerge? 
Yeah, so Dearness Johnson got really nice opportunity last year. Some some of which is uh, you know COVID situations and others. Or Kareem Hunt dealt with a really gnarly calf strain, so he missed a big chunk of the season. And Dearness Johnson is a guy that they tendered and ultimately gave a new contract to. So they really like him, wanted to keep him around. And this is a position that they're really dealing from strength. If a team, I'll be honest, team, if a can, uh, if a team offered something of serious stature for Kareem, they would take it. They would, they would move him. He's on the last year of his contract. Dearness Johnson, a nice player, had a really, really strong season. And I actually think he might have been – now you have to tighten up the number of snaps, but he was one of the highest, if not the highest, rushing-graded uh, running back last year if you tighten the snap numbers up a little bit. I know that can get a little dicey, but he was really strong when he was on the football field. So they like him. and if they got, But I do think, too, if they got an offer of a fifth, sixth, or seventh for him, they would jump at that. They're looking at – is a team going to have a Travis Etienne situation where they get desperate for a running back? And if they do, they'll have levels of which they can offer an earlier guy for Kareem or a later guy for Dearness. Or if what we're talking about earlier, Jacoby Brissett is going to be your quarterback for eight, 10, 12 weeks. We're going to use all of these guys. We're going to use them all and they're going to get, they're going to get run. They drafted in the fourth round, a rookie out of Cincinnati, Jerome Ford, who they like as well, who, who really fits what they do run game wise and has nice burst. So they're going to eventually use him too. So four really good running backs. You could include a fifth. If you want to include Demetric Felton, the rookie they had last year out of UCLA, who's a hybrid player doing more wide receiver things than running back, but he can do, he can do that stuff too. And got run as a running back in the preseason last year. And I, I think he's fine too. So they have a bevy of options. They're, they're really lucky uh, where they sit running back O line wise right now. Yeah. This, I'm just pondering what hunt might draw as a return. Um, I think it's always less than what you think at running back because oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Of, of, of who he is. And he's five years in the league. He's almost 27 or almost 26, almost 27. It's, yeah. It is important which. Uh, he is almost 27. He'll be 27 in 24 more days. So I, I would think fourth round pick might be the re- reasonable return yeah. on that. I'm not sure if they'd be excited by that or say, you know, hey, we we just have to, you know, be reasonable while giving Dearness Johnson a, a, a better opportunity here, given how he produced for us last year. Yeah, I think that there's some of that at play for sure. Uh, could they get a conditional fourth to third, something like that? They're dealing from a position of strength there. So I don't uh, like I have equated it to I don't think they're eager to move them. I don't think they're eager to. But they're in a situation right. where how can we recreate picks we've given away? Well, we have some positions of strength here that we think that we could deal from if the situation allows us to. They had it with Mayfield. They got a pick in 24. Not great, but a pick back. Um, and then they're going to have to try to see if they can recreate others. They did with Troy Hill in this offseason. Uh, this running back situation is where if they get a real call that is of interest to them, they'll they'll be interested. Um, but but I don't think they're just sitting here dangling Kareem or Dearness uh, and saying, hey, take them. We don't want them. They'll all make the roster and they'll all get run, if especially if Watson's out for a large portion of the year. Okay, so Kareem has a, a fairly significant cap number this year, which always makes it a little more challenging to unload a guy at mm-hmm. the trade deadline. But it's not out of this world, and a lot of it, though, is in that per-game roster bonus. Yep. So I assume whoever has him pays him for that, right? Uh, yeah, that's a large portion of why you we, we feel like, as we looked at it as a website, he he does make some sense to move. He still has... 
he still has some some name value right among people where he was the NFL rushing champion a few years back like I think the people most people I would imagine in a front office see past a lot of that stuff but mm-hmm. it only takes one one of 32 to get desperate and, and need if they feel like they really need a guy so uh, I, I listen Kareem loves it in Cleveland he's from Cleveland Cleveland gave him a second chance all of that stuff. The franchise loves them too. And, and and it's not like they're looking to just say, Hey man, we're, we're sorry. We have to do the, it's gotta be a good deal for them. And and I don't think if someone calls and says, we'll give you a fifth, they're just going to jump at it because I do think they want to use him this year. And, and if they can find, there has been some preliminary discussion of if there is a cheap team friendly deal to be had, they'd be interested. I don't know what a free agent market looks like for a guy Kareem's age. It's not thriving. So it might just be a spot where he needs to feel comfortable, and and that could end up being Cleveland. So we'll see. I think the odds on favorite is Dearness being moved for somebody at some point because I do think he deserves a real look in the NFL. I think he's a fine player. All right. All right. Very good. we got to go a little faster. I'm sorry to, to, to hustle you up here, but let's talk wide receivers. Yeah, so I've mentioned a couple of them, right? I've mentioned Amari Cooper. I've mentioned um, uh, David Bell a little bit. David Bell, they brought in on third round out of Purdue. Not a great athlete, but just a guy who we think is a really good football player. Kind of tested like Cooper Cup. Uh, it's not explosive, but has a feel, a knack for route running, soft spots in zone, body control at the catch point. Um, 10 yard burst is really good. So he does create initial separation, not a great long runner though. They are expecting him to be a player for them. I don't know what that level of player looks like, but I think he'll be a player for them this year. Some big slot opportunities, so on and so forth. Donovan Peoples Jones enters his third year, sixth round pick out of Michigan. Had a, had, a, had a really strong rookie campaign for being a six-round guy. Got some downfield opportunities. Had a really good yards per catch number because he caught some deep downfield throws. Thrust into more opportunity last year because of the situation with other wide receivers. And uh, a big X, physical, strong uh, catch point guy. But, yeah, they need a lot out of him. Okay, now this just gives you a little bit of difference between the, the Ravens and, and the Browns here. But... Donovan Peoples-Jones, 11.6 yards per target in his career. It's not a ton of targets, but 78 career targets. That's a full season playing on the outside for the Ravens, that's for sure. 11.6 yards per target in his career. Most important statistic for a wide receiver. And, and that is outrageously good. And it's uh, it hasn't been done with that impressive a catch rate. It's been a 61.5% catch rate. So it's mostly done um, in, in terms of... Uh, of what he's getting on a per reception basis, which is 18.8 career. So yeah, uh, big play player. A lot of underlying data that supports him being very explosive. Uh, and, and he was among the best in the league last year, contested catch rate. He can really go get those back shoulder balls up the sideline. He does a nice job plucking anything over his head. Uh, just, just not a, not a loose hips, fluid route runner. So he, he's limited in the route tree. He, he's a very much a post dig, um, comeback type of guy, some curls in there, not a quick feet in and out of route guy. So he can be covered. He's not, he's not among the best in the league or anything of that nature, not even upper echelon, but he's fine. He's adequate. He's tall. He's got good long speed. And again, he can, can, he can make those contested catches that are very difficult to defend and has a keen knack for that. So they like him. It's a great value for a sixth round pick. I think he's an interesting extension candidate on a very team friendly uh, deal if they get out in front of it. But he's just, you know, he's, he's one of those guys, Ken, where you he works his butt off. He's quiet. He shows up. He does everything he's supposed to do. And I think there's a lot he can learn from Amari Cooper. So they like him. Uh, rookie Anthony Schwartz uh, last year 
very uneven, dealt with a concussion issue, raw, a burner, Olympic track speed guy, uh, a burner, and that's why they took him in the third round, but did not flash things we wanted to see. I did not see the right now speed I was hoping he would have. His He can get to a speed, but he, it's buildups, too much buildup to it. So hopefully he can show a little bit more of what made him special as a runner at Auburn. Um, they'll do some jet fly sweep stuff with him, but he's got to prove he can run NFL routes, finish the year strong, but just, just not enough to leave you feeling warm and fuzzy at this point. Not a, not a return guy. That's why they brought in Jakeem, uh, to handle those things. But he's an interesting player, uh, that, that I think is going to get a couple of years of run just because his ability to run down the football field matters so much ball tracking issues for me too, which is never something you love for a guy running down the field, trying to catch it 40 yards in the air. So you yep. need to see those things improve. That's your core wide receiver group. Like we mentioned, Jakeem Grant gets kind of thrown into that too. We'll see who else they ultimately want to keep. There's a rookie undrafted free agent named Isaiah Weston out of Northern Iowa, who is, um, extremely gifted physically 25 when the season starts that's why he's a udfa Ooh. but his testing was 10 across the board doesn't play as big uh, as his body is but we'll see he's an interesting fringe roster candidate they brought in another couple udfas who i don't think are altogether too much worth our time to discuss but that's the the large portion um of the of the wide receiver room is is those guys so those top four, they'll figure out the rest. Jakeem's your fifth guy, and then a sixth guy is an opportunity. They drafted Mike Woods out of Oklahoma in the sixth round. Decent player. Uh, Got to see what he really provides in camp because his uh, Oklahoma tape, very uneven in terms of route fluidity and separation creation. So we'll see if he's able to do that stuff. But it's not a great wide receiver room, but I don't think they're swinging for that. I think they're swinging for an average group who can be elevated by a quarterback play over time. They'll in my opinion, Ken, they'll continue to address it, though. It's going to be a primary focus of upcoming drafts and free agency for sure. That, now, that was one question I wanted to ask because the, the, there, there's definitely a split in the league right now on how teams value wide receiver mm-hmm. and whether they're in the we got to have them, as PFF will tell you, every team, oh, I can't believe they're not taking wide receiver with this pick when, as they're analyzing their, their uh, doing their show analysis or they're not taking a corner or an edge or a quarterback or somebody who addresses the passing game. Uh, the, the Ravens, the Packers, the Chiefs have put a stake in the ground and said, we're not buying into this yeah. high-end wide receiver market crap. Yeah, I think Cleveland's going to test their quarterback too. You know, Can he elevate those around him? Can we find bargains and do those things? Because a lot of us were thinking, man, pick 44 was up. John Mechie, George Pickens, a lot of those guys were on the board, and they traded out of it. So they're kind of proof right now that they're going to try to take some flyers on guys and try to see if they can catch lightning in a bottle with a David Bell. Donovan Peoples-Jones keeps keeps growing, and they'll push the can down the road a little bit there. So uh, if the season goes awry, I'm sure, just like last year when their wide receivers were not good. I mean, Donovan Peoples-Jones, I think, led the team with some beyond mediocre yards uh, that they have to get, that we'll look back on it, and if their wide receiver play is bad again, it's going to get a lot of scrutiny because they are taking some risks here. It's not a zero-risk position room for sure. All right. All right, outstanding stuff. Let's flip over the defense. We've got about 20 minutes for this, so just kind of keep that in mind. The defensive line, take us through it. Uh, Miles, you guys know Miles. I don't think I have to elaborate too far on him. He, he unlocked a, uh, a whole new level of ability last year. He gets a ton of attention, just a ton of attention, Ken, as he should because he's he's so good. He's so gifted. If he got some of the cleanup sacks, some of the other – Big names, uh, especially one of the rivals in this division, he would he would be your defensive player of the year or right near it every year. He's he's just so gifted and he deals with a lot of attention. So um, 
Miles was great. They brought back Clowney, had a good year last year. Uh, does that mean he stays healthy this year and is able to continue the level of play? I don't know. It's a risk, uh, but they didn't really feel comfortable with the market, so they they did not uh, go crazy on that, brought him back on what I thought was a very fear, fair incentive-laden deal. Um, uh, they they uh, To finish up defensive end, we talked about Chase Winovich. He needs to have a bounce-back year after a disappointing year in New England last year. So they brought, brought in Winovich for Mac Wilson. They brought in some veterans, Stephen Weatherly, Isaac Rochelle, not really worth discussing all too much here, guys who are fringe players who will make – uh, one of them, uh, Stephen Weatherly, was guaranteed 600000 so his dead cap number is that. And largely, I'm sure, Ken, you understand, when you're seeing who's making the 53, follow the money. It would take yep. a lot for him to not make the roster compared to some of the others. Uh, they've drafted two guys who are of interest to me. Alex Wright, who I liked a ton out of UAB. They took him with their second pick. So their second pick was in the third round, so they took him. Um, uh, I like him. Very good athletic frame and a, and a nice moldable piece uh, along that defensive end room who they have very high hopes for. We did an interview with him. He's a very, uh, very intelligent guy. It was, it was fascinating. Um, uh, then they also brought in Isaiah Thomas, a late round older prospect out of Oklahoma, seventh round pick who I think he's got an outside chance to make the roster or, or be a heavy part of the practice uh, squad if he can clear waivers and be an up and down guy. Uh, defensive tackles where it gets dicey. So they, I talked about Taven Bryan. And this is this is Cleveland punting on a position and saying we don't think it means all too much. They have Jordan Elliott was a third round pick out of uh, Missouri. Who, yeah, um, he bounced around a ton of different universities. So they brought him in. Uh, PFF loved him in the draft, but he has just not proven anything in this uh, in his two years. He's he's slow off the football. Is too inconsistent with hand placement. There's just so many things I need him to clean up. And he hasn't proven it yet. He'll get a chance this year, but he has not proven that he is worth even considering for a second contract. So um, he's got to prove a lot. Taven Bryan has to prove a lot. Then they brought in Tommy Togiai out of Ohio State the fourth round last year. Did not like his rookie season. I'm harsh on defensive tackles, and I know it's a hard position, but I got to see. In your rookie year, I need to see some flashes. Are you going to win with hand combat stuff? Are you going to be able to anchor double teams? And if you can't do those things, it's not always something you can just pick up. So I'm nervous about these young guys who I do not like a ton. They did bring in Perrion Winfrey out of the fourth and out of Oklahoma in the fourth round. People were very high on Perry on some people even days before. And these are reputable draft analysts were mocking him to Cleveland in the second round. So he's there in the fourth. They take him. Mm-hmm. He's interesting. He's going to be important for them. Yeah, it was, it's not a good it wasn't a good draft. I, th- I was very surprised by this to be mm-hmm. trying to uh, youthify your defensive line with the Ravens. You know, have an ancient defensive line that they've been trying to uh, get younger at. And they, they passed at the position. You know, they had a chance at Christian Barmore. A year ago, which which I, he was one of the guys I really wanted to, to see if the Ravens could get. This year, they they kind of lucked and they they waited a little longer. Got Travis Jones, but it, it's it, despite the COVID year and what I expected to be a pretty thick class of defensive tackles coming out. You know, a year removed from a lot of sitouts. Uh, it was not. It was yeah. not a really great defensive tackle year. It was not very underwhelming to the point that you know people are. You know how they fan bases do. They hype up players. They they believe the, they got great value out of. Well, sometimes they're just not as good as you've been led to believe. Now, mm-hmm. Perrion is he's athletic and he's motivated and he 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 is a fireball of a personality. Some of that to which is why I think some teams were turned off by him. But 
if he can harness some of the things you saw at the end of the year, and especially the senior bowl where he was bullying people, and I'm talking mugging them with his hands, and he was playing so heavy-handed and just really driving bull rush, a club swim that I liked a lot. If he can bring those things and be serviceable, then then the Browns have something here, and they got they got a they got a right the right player at the right time. But again, it it is clearly a player who is. Um, put it this way. I think he's very worried about himself. <laughs> I think he's very oh. worried about, I'm worried sometimes how he plays the game. If he doesn't, he doesn't, you know, as a defensive tackle, you're almost playing as an, a point guard, assisting other people a lot to open up your second level players or open up a guy who's on a stunt or something of those, uh, those things. We'll see if he's able to handle that stuff. That will be an extremely fascinating part of his early NFL career to see if he can handle it. Otherwise, they have Sheldon Day, who's a a defensive tackle uh, that has been around the NFL. He's out of Notre Dame, been around the league for a while, was actually one of their better interior guys last year. If you recall, they had Malik McDowell, who was a late flyer, who was a guy uh, that that, that, that he's out of the the picture now, had a rough offseason and proved why he was uh, struggling to stay in the NFL as is. And then Malik Jackson, uh, they let both of those guys go. So they're banking on these young guys. Sheldon Day was decent last year. He'll fight for a position because he doesn't have the contract that lives up to expectations of the, him making the roster. But that's the group. They have a couple free agents. Roderick, um, um, Rod, Rod, out of Illinois, I cannot think of his name off the top of my head. Um, he's a UDFA. And then Glenn Logan, who's a bigger body, more of a shade, uh, 330 run stuffing type, which the Browns really don't prefer their D tackles to be run stuffing types. They really like to play the rush, the passer and on the way there, play the run on your way to the passer. So they don't play many of those body types. So uh, they gave him decent UDFA money. So they're going to give him a chance uh, to, to, to earn a job like they did with uh, Marvin Wilson last year. So they, two positions came that they really chased in, in UDFA wide receiver, tight end on offense, and then defensive tackle on defense. And that tells you where they're most nervous about some of the spots on their roster. Yeah, I, I don't know if your previous point was made towards UDFA dollars, but UDFA dollars, even though they're on a much smaller scale, definitely follow that money in terms of who's who who's going to make the roster for 100%. sure. 100%. So, yeah, they gave Glenn Logan some of their biggest money, and then they gave another young offensive lineman uh, that they like out of Virginia Tech some decent – or sorry, Boston College some decent money too. So those are guys that they clearly like the most and, and believe have a chance here. So that's the defensive line, uh, strong. They play a lot of their run defense filters through their defensive tack – or sorry, their two ends who they like to sort of play as force guys who spill everything inside. Uh, they're very good at defending perimeter run game, so they like to keep things inside the tackle box. It'll be fascinating to follow. If you want me, I can talk about your linebackers because they got a good young yes. one. Who is uh, fascinating? J- Jeremiah Wusukoromoa is their anchor at the position. He's the young part of the future. Um, he's only going to be 22 this year. Got him in the second round last year, and boy was he fun! I mean, like uh, plays at a different speed, Ken, than people around him. Closing speed, click and close is phenomenal. If you go back and watch the the Baltimore tape, both here and there, the game there, he was special. I mean, I'm talking. He can cover. He'll run past people in the same pursuit angles. It's. Uh, I think he has the ability, and I really don't like to say these things because it can seem so hyperbolic, but I do think he has the ability to be one of the best linebackers in the league. He was pretty durable considering his time uh, grew last year. He had a really weird uh, low uh, sprinkle, a sprained ankle 
in, in a meaningless portion of the Arizona game week six early in the year. But other than that, was healthy the rest of the year and played a ton of snaps and got a ton of trust from Joe Woods. But I'll say this. He plays linebacker. What you feared with JOK is a 220 guy. Maybe, maybe 220. Um, Thumb on the scale. Yes. Listen, I'm, I'm nervous about that 220 number. I wouldn't like to bet against it. He he plays running or he plays linebacker like a running back though, Ken. So as you know with these light guys, what you get nervous of, yeah, they can play in space, they can run to the sideline, they can play curl flat, they can play hook, fine. Can they shed blocks? Can they shed blocks? He does not let offensive linemen touch him. He plays linebacker like a running back. And what you would think of, well, is he giving up his run fit because of that? He'll do one plant moves, he'll sneak and duck and rip under. I've Ken, I've I've never seen anything like it. Where I'm talking multiple times in multiple games this year, where offensive linemen were very easily ticked off. They couldn't, they just couldn't touch him, and they get really frustrated with not being able to get their hands on him. And he has a keen ability to not only make those offensive linemen miss, but be able to still maintain run fit and get to where he's supposed to be. He does such a great job grabbing ankles, and I know that's not the way it's taught to be, te- you know, technique perfect, but can you get a guy to the ground and he can do that where he can duck inside and then get, get on somebody's knees and feet to bring them down. He can square you up and bring a big hit when he needs to. Uh, but boy, was I just so fascinated with how a guy like him can be a will box linebacker and he does it in his own unique way. When he does, he does occasionally, if a big offensive tackle or guard gets into him, he's going to go for a little bit of a ride, but he w- he was able to hold his own a couple times when guys were coming, bearing down on him too. So I, I don't like, again, I don't like to do this because I, I just don't like to be like the guy who supports his team and, and cro- throws that hyperbole stuff, but he's special. I really think he's got something unique here. I, I, w- I would say this as a Ravens fan that, that I wish, and the positions are not exactly the same because you have a four, three versus three, four difference, but still mm-hmm. Koromoa is more of a chase player. Uh, and as Queen was for a lot of the second half of last year, if Patrick Queen could develop into Koromoa, it would be a huge step forward for him, an enormous step forward. Koromoa is a decent coverage player. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's, uh, you know, chases down the run very well. Uh, he frankly plays at a higher speed than Patrick Queen does, which is one of the really big frustrations about uh, about his play but if if he could make that step forward i think he'd, he'd actually earn a earn a fifth year uh uh option pickup yeah totally i i can't sit here and say i've watched a ton of patrick queen but i've seen enough to understand where you're coming from i mean the, the thing is if jok did one of the things i'm talking about here that's a different conversation when you can put click and close speed that is unique and i'm talking really unique uh, stuff from a guy at the linebacker position on top of the ability to stay fluid inside the tackle box to your run fit, but make keeping hands off you and be able to step out in the slot and play tight ends or sometimes wide receivers physically mug them when the Browns do run uh, sparingly uh, cover one man to man snap stuff like that. He holds his own in that regard. So he is really a modern linebacker um, with some special traits on top of it. So I'm excited. I'm just really excited about him. Wanted him badly in the draft and they, they ended up getting him. It's one of those, you know, those few, times where as an analyst you're like ah i feel like i got something right so he's fun but uh otherwise jacob uh, jacob phillips who is former teammate of patrick queen at lsu who's been beat up man last year his rookie year he had a uh, knee injury after week one when when cleveland made the trip to baltimore missed a time had another uh shoulder issue later in the year missed some time so he didn't play a ton he had a game week 17 against pittsburgh his rookie year where he flashed eight stop tackles all over the field you could see it as a mike backer comes into this year Joint practices with with uh, 
with with uh, the New York Giants. It's running back, linebacker, one-on-one drills, passing drills. Goes to get a hand on a running back, dislocates the elbow, out for the year essentially. Comes back late in the year, but it's meaningless. It's just hard to gauge. So they need him to be healthy. If he's healthy, he's their Mike Backer. I think he plays at a nice pace. I think he's a good run field defender, and he had a really nice stretches of his rookie year where he was doing really interesting things in pass coverage and feeling out route concepts developing behind him. I hold out hope. It's got to prove he can be healthy, but he's the, the, the odds-on favorite to be the Mike. I talked about Anthony Walker, just 27, although he feels 37. It feels like he's been around the league for a while. He's decent, serviceable as a Mike. They uh, have Sione Takitaki, who's uh, in the 19 draft, who's in perfect modern Sam Backer, 18 to 20. 22 snaps a game. If somebody goes heavy personnel, he'll be a walk up over front or under front uh, Sam Backer play and mug the run and uh, be a heavy special teams guy. They like him out of BYU. So that's uh, that's sort of who he is. And that's the the, the, the mold he fits in. Uh, other than that, they have a young man named Tony Fields who will be in his second year out of West Virginia. Uh, we'll see. He he was only a special teams guy last year, and uh, that that's kind of the group. They got some young guys, Willie Harvey, a UDFA, who stuck around practice squad. And they brought in this young guy named Silas Kelly out of Coastal Carolina as a UDFA of some interest. But those five guys I laid out there are, are the guys. They let Mac Wilson go to that trade, and Malcolm Smith, the former uh, Super Bowl MVP, who caught some veteran legs for two years with the Browns, was also let go. So it's it's those five guys. All right, very good. Let's talk about the secondary. You got about five minutes left, so we're going to tighten be tight. Up here. <laughs> a good, a good. Listen, a really good corner group, a, a group that they have drafted, invested, and believe in. They they signed Denzel Ward to an extension. I think he's worth it. Uh, fluid. I don't have to go into Denzel. I think you guys know who he is. He can do a bunch of different techniques. He can mirror you. He can get down your face. He can play off. He can be your solo guy when you run uh, some 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 island coverage where you're quarters to the field, but he's locked up one-on-one. He's what they're paying for. He's a top 10 corner in the league who I think can continue to get better. Only 24, just turned 25. He's, he's young. Um, yeah, I think he's going to even get better. Um, Greg Newsom, rookie out of Northwestern last year, flash first-round pick. I, I, I think he's really good. I mean, he's he's uh, very, very uh, ball skills heavy. He can play the football at the catch point. I think he's got really nice route feel, had solid coverage marks. And I thought that, you know, sometimes, you know, Ken, if you watch and then you'll see pro football numbers and stuff, you know, that guy doesn't match up. But I think he really does cover well, both zone and man. Uh, they talked about how he had – um, he was scheme esoteric. He was sort of scheme diverse, and I think he's proven that. Now, with Troy Hill's move, they're bumping him inside more. Uh, which I, is a position I'll be very interested to see if he can handle. He did it in spurts last year, but he's trending toward being their inside guy, which can you handle the run game? Can you do the fallback fit stuff? Can you be a force defender? We'll see. I think he can. Tackles pretty well for his size. I like him. I wouldn't love him being your inside guy because that's just exposure to different things, but they seem to be into it. Um, Greedy Williams is still around. He'll be in his fourth year out of LSU, dealing with shoulder injuries his second year, missed the whole year, had a nice year this this past year when he came back, um, a bounce-back player, more comfortable as a mere walk-down corner in your face, but can, he's gotten a little better at zone and had a pretty good year. So he'll be an option outside if you if they go uh, primarily nickel. They have A.J. Green, this young corner out of Oklahoma State, who was a UDFA who really caught on. Nice coverage grades last year. He's continued to trend upward. He'll get opportunities outside. And they brought in Martin Emerson. Uh, look, I mentioned earlier, was their okay. first pick in the draft.
draft out of Mississippi State, who's a big body guy who can do some different things. They like they're heavily invested. It. We need defensive backs to match up with the Cincinnati's of the world and some of the other speed elements that the Ravens bring to the table. They want to match it with quicker guys, not big guys, quick guys. So that's your corner group, and then your safety group. John Johnson is back for the second year of his contract. Started out last year very rough, but I thought got really good by the end of the year. Second year in this system, probably be the green dot guy again. I think he will be a really good player for them this year. Grant Delpit, uh, another part of that LSU trifecta there with uh, Patrick and Jacob uh, coming back now second year off of the uh, Achilles tear that he had in the rookie minicamp uh, that he had his rookie year. Very high hopes for him uh, across the organization. They think he's finally back to being himself. He'll be all over the field slot. He'll play the pole. He'll play a bunch of different positions at that safety group. And I, I think he's got a chance to have a nice season. Talked about Ronnie Harrison. Disappointing season for Ronnie Harrison, who they traded for right before the 20 season out of Jacksonville. Originally an Alabama guy out of college. Um he should have some different opportunities, but I think they'll live in nickel a lot. He'll be their dime backer. So when they want to really go JOK and, Phil, and, and, and Harrison, he'll be the guy. The fourth safety to be determined could be Javante Moffitt, who's been around the league and is, has been a practice squad guy they like and trust. But they drafted um, a, kid out of, uh, a kid out of Georgia who's – I, I, I cannot think of his name to LeCount, Richard LeCount out of Georgia, who's meant to be a free safety type last year, had an uneven year, had a, as a team suspension, which was never understood why. Hmm. Never want to hear those things. Did not have much of a role last year, but he's somebody worth watching. So uh, he'll be an interesting part of things. Uh, potentially as a fourth uh, fourth safety. So that's the defensive back group, which I think is one of their strongest groups. And another position I talked about running back, Ken, that they could, if they wanted to deal somebody, because a great opportunity arises, somebody like Greedy could be available if a team wants them. So well, uh, something to keep an eye on. Definitely being six deep at corner, I'm jealous already. The Ravens, obviously, they have good high top end players, but, they're, but their uh, depth is not great at the position. And uh, it feels like time a few years. Yeah, it feels like a position Cleveland is just going to always draft a guy in the mid-rounds, uh, early mid-round type of guy. They just really want to continue to have a ton of flexibility. And I think this year Joe Woods will get a little bit more creative with how many of those, up to four uh, four or five at a time that he'll have on the field. Yeah, well, that's, that's, uh, that's a great way to do it. If you can afford to play dime and quarter and take your guys off, you're inside, they almost always your second and third best safeties are better coverage guys than your second best inside linebacker. And it looks like JOK may be a guy they keep on the field for, for more snaps this year. Yeah. Um, all the snaps? It's tough. That's a good, it's a great question. Uh, there, there was, uh, like I said, they got really trusting of him uh, going into that week six game. He played it, he was playing a ton of snaps. And then by the end of the year, after he came back from the injury, he was doing it too. I do think he'll be, he has a chance to be the green dot if they want to take that burden off John. He could be an every snap guy, but those two to me and Denzel and and probably uh, you know Newsom will, will be the, the high high volumes. I just can't see situations where you take you take him off the field. JOK is just too valuable in both phases. So they got uh, some more flexibility with every single snap players this year than I've ever seen. All right. Jake, just an outstanding, in-depth view of the Cleveland Browns. And, you know, it, whenever we start talking football, and you do a great job of carrying the conversation when we, when we, uh, when we talk, we talk about the Browns anyway, uh, it, it, it can easily go well over an hour. And we have uh, fans that have not really objected strenuously to, to episodes being too long. You can always fast forward. You can always stop it if you want. But uh, this is the best you'll get on the Cleveland Browns is from Jake Burns. 
tell folks where they can find your work. Yeah, um, over at the OBR. So we're the Orange and Brown Reporter, part of the 247 Sports Network. You can find it there. I do a daily podcast called the OBR Film Breakdown, all the typical podcast channels, part of Blue Wire with Ken. Um, so, uh, yeah, find us there. Find me at, at, at Jake underscore Burns 18 on Twitter. Always love to have discourse about anything football-related and uh, pop culture, goofy stuff like that, too. So, Ken, my pleasure to join you, man. I always, always love to talk ball with you, man. I'm glad we found this uh, wavelength here over the past few years. Yeah, I appreciate it. This has been a great, uh, great relationship. I hope your your uh, wife does well in the appreciate coming that. days and uh, things work out for you and the family. Other folks out there, if you'd like to do a film study short, hit me up on Twitter with a DM. They're always open and I'm interested in any topic you might want to talk about that might be take 25 minutes and gets it real in depth on a nice narrow topic. Jake, thanks again for joining me. My pleasure, Ken. Thanks again for having me. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.